The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We live in a fast-paced, hectic world where it is easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing your sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories for many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. Hey, and welcome to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin, along today with Leah Mattinson, my great host. Uh, And we have a great show for you lined up today. But before we get to that, Leah... How have you been? I haven't spoken to you for a couple of weeks because of the holidays. Yeah, it's been, no, but I've been absolutely wonderful. Uh, Just living life and living large as usual. We've had a wonderful um, time together with family and friends and our our business is really uh, taking off. So we're just finding ourselves in service now to the Huntington's family more on a full-time basis and uh, spending some time really focusing in on our health and wellness. And, you know, that inc- includes a lot of the lifestyle components that we talk about often on the show, Howard. And so this has been a great, a great couple of weeks. And so how have you been? I've been I've been good, thank you, and I've been um, writing away, and I've been physically active, which actually um, is a great segue, or some bit of a segue into today's guest. Today's guest is Tammy uh, Harrison, and she has um, I'm very very fortunate to help her write an incredible story. Uh, she, her family, her dad and the mom, as we'll hear, were heavily involved in, you know, one of the remarkable stories about breaking down the perception of the barriers about women and their capabilities. And, and Tammy's family and her dad was very instrumental in um, promoting, developing uh, the all-American redheads. Now, you'll appreciate this, Leah, because you're a redhead. <laughs> You're not, you're I'm a, a fan already. <laughs> yeah, you're an old Canadian redhead, I guess. But yeah. um, the old American redheads. Um, well, you know what? Let's let let's bring Tammy in, and and she can explain it. Hi, Tammy. How are you? I'm doing great. Just doing fine. Yeah, I'm it's, it's just excited to be on your show. Um, to talk about the all American redheads. That's my life and my passion. So, um, what you want to know? <laughs> Okay, well, why don't you give us just a little bit of background on who the American, all American redheads were, what they did, and then we'll spend the rest of the show talking about that and the implications of it. Okay, the all American redheads were the first women's basketball team um, to travel around the country 
and it la- they lasted for 50 years. They started in 1936 and um, played their last really official game in 1986, played a few games afterwards and some alumni games, but they lasted, a professional girls basketball team lasted 50 years. Yeah, and you know that's only a small part of the story, really, because um, they in the 1930s it was actually not recommended. In fact, it was somewhat violently opposed. This notion of women playing such a physical sport as basketball—it thought that it was unfeminine and that they would damage their health. Um, and so, this in 1936, this was groundbreaking. If you also add in the fact that at the time, the women's rules were different from the men's rules, again, to protect, quotation mark, the delicate femininity of these players, tell us something that's important about the All-American Redheads. They only played against men's teams, right? And they played men's rules. That's right. They played men's rules full court, because at the time, women's basketball was not full court. So... Um, really incredible. Give us a little bit of background of how that started. Well, there's a lot of um, implications on how it originally started, but it started with Mr. Olson. He owned and operated and played for a team called the Terrible Swedes. It was a men's traveling team. And he um, was getting to the age where, you know, he was, not going to be able to play anymore, but he loved showmanship. He was a big showmanship. Supposedly, he was the first person to ever throw a backhand pass. Um, He was just great at promoting basketball. His wife, Doyle, had a chain of beauty salons, Hmm. and it was said that uh, they started their their basketball with some of their salon girls that worked in their salons, and a lot of them were already redheads. So, hey, we've got a gimmick. We're getting women out playing basketball. Not If that's not enough, a bunch of redheaded women. And at the time, <laughs> there was not a lot of redheaded women. Today, we can get that out of that bottle, and there's a lot of stars that have red hair, uh, singers. All that, but it was it was just uncommon at the time. So they're going to watch people play basketball, and they're going to have red hair. Wow, what a gimmick! What could you know? Who could think of that? It just came up with a showmanship man and a woman with the that owned a beautician shop. That's just absolutely fantastic. And and as a redhead and a former basketball player, I seriously would have gone to a few games if not have played myself. So I am, I just think that's the 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 coolest thing in the world. And also, I think that redheads are not as common. Um, and so that would still nowadays we see a few of them on uh, TV. But I think it is relatively uncommon, except out of a box. So how did they? Did the beauty salon owner, did Mrs. Olson, actually turn people into redheads at that time, or did they? Actually actually find uh, 12 or 18 redheads to play basketball. <laughs> uh, no, she. there was uh, quite a few uh, that were redheads, but, I mean, you know, she was a beautician, and they had henna and things like in that kind of, of, uh, <laughs> of 
uh, ways to change their hair red at the time. Long, hard ways to change your hair red, not like out of a box, but um, they used whatever they could to uh, tint their hair red. And whatever they could to get their hair red. (laughs) What I really liked about, I mean, so so much of this story is incredible and I really love it. But, but one of the things that I really like, I think if you were looking at changing a stereotype for women, you would say, okay, well, we've got to make them sort of make them be like men so they can compete with men. But on the contrary, this is marketed by a beauty salon that is sort of playing up the femininity not saying that, well, you've got to be like a man to compete. It's saying, hey, we're women and we're feminine, but we can also compete. And I think that was part of whether it was intended that way or not. I think part of the genius of it, because it really did frame that very much as men v. women, not women trying to be men, women being women and still being able to compete. That that's correct. They they were expected, you know, they wore their silky uniforms and their short shorts, which at times, um, you know, that was definitely not that was taboo at the time to wear mm-hmm. shorts in public a lot of places. And uh so they were definitely showing off their, you know, being feminine and uh um, later on, you know, I mean, here's some things my dad would tell them, you know, they would get out of the car they needed to make sure that they were, their hair was combed, their lipstick was on, and everything. When they got out the cars, that they were not to get out unmade. Um, they wanted to promote the fact that women could be women and still be great at basketball and participate and be successful. So that uh, brings up a great point. I think the uh, you know the that that's carried on throughout many generations of of uh, I see women who look wonderful, work hard at taking care of themselves every day, putting forth a good um, face to the public. I think what really sets this apart is it was, or, or that might have been the forerunners of where uh, some of us are now in our lives. And they start, they sort of started um, the idea or, or a push to thinking about women differently. Uh, and I'm curious about, uh, like, who would have coached them to like not only be like in the in the skill of basketball because playing basketball is not an easy sport. Anyone who plays it knows it's very fairly complicated. Well, originally, um, you know, Mr. Olson was uh, the coach, and he had coached men for years and played, and he was the um, epitome of uh, gimmicks and um, actually basic skills. So Mr. Olson would have started it out, and then he hired other people that he found that he believed in and taught them the, taught them what he knew and what he wanted the players to learn and how they wanted to play, like blocking out properly, shooting properly, um, uh, dribbling the correct way. I mean, uh, the Redheads have been known for doing things, uh, the skills properly, and if you do it properly and you do it over and over and it becomes repetition, then your chances of being more, are going to be, proficiency is going to be, you're, you're going to be more proficient. 
if you do things properly skilled. Yeah, there was no question that uh, Ollie Olson, the, the first owner and coach, and then Tammy's dad, Orwell Moore, um, really emphasized, they were ahead of their time, there's no question about that, both in terms of marketing, but also in skills and the psychological skills and what it took to be training. These women were incredibly fit. I mean, they were unbelievably fit, and I think their physical fitness and endurance, they out-competed many of the men's teams they played on that. They were also incredibly skilled because they practiced very hard, and they were taught about basketball skills and basketball strategy. Um, and so you have all of those things, which is really what made them really competitive. And by the way, they won like 90% of their games. So that tells you how competitive they were. Yeah, well, they did not like losing, but, um, you know, that that's just part of it. You have to lose sometimes. And as long as they played, a, played well and put on a good show and uh, – and the people were satisfied, and they put forth a put forth a good example of what that women could and would be able to participate in basketball. Then uh, that was a successful game. Right on. So, Tammy, I'm curious about what were the age ranges of the ladies that played basketball? Wow, eighteen to thirty something. Uh, you you had players that played. Uh, you know, when they started out 18 or 17 years old, right out of high school, and then you had some that played for 12 years, 11 years. Uh, you had some that finished college and then came and played. So uh, the age level was varied. So you had your what you call your rookies. You know, everybody has rookies, and then uh, your middlemen, and then what you call your veterans. So uh, the teams generally were filled with r- rookies, uh, people that had been around for a little while, and then veteran players. So it was okay. a mixture of age groups together. Now, one year there was what was called a college group, and those kids had been to college. Uh, so they were all a, a tad bit older. But other than that, it, it was a variety of ages. Yeah, and that was much later towards the end when that they had that college team. Right. Um, and so one of the things you have to understand is that in the 1930s when this started out, girls didn't have the opportunity to play basketball very much. I mean, there certainly wasn't women's college teams, which we'll get to, because I do think the Redheads were instrumental in getting Title IX applied to sports and um, the beginning of women's basketball at a college level. Um but those those opportunities didn't really exist, isn't that right, Tammy? Oh no, they 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 really they didn't exist at all. Um, actually, you know, it was not even encouraged for women to go to college, let alone go to college and and play <laughs> ball. You know, it was um, just something that um, came about later and after Title Nine, and then there was a lot of states that um, had teams and uh, kept having teams from in the you know 30s but not many you have your um I, I one that comes to my mind is delta state here in mississippi they had a um really strong basketball program for many years um back before um you know tennessee and yukon and all that was real strong 
But you just didn't have that many teams or that many places to play, nowhere to play. So if you wanted to play basketball, the Redheads was was for you, and you got paid, and you got to travel around the United States and see sites and place go places that you may never have uh, had the chance to see before. Uh, traveling so, to Alaska is one thing that uh, a couple of the teams did. Right, so it's 1936, and <laughs> I'm 18, and I go to my dad and say, hey, Dad, I, I would really love to go play basketball. Like, how in the world did they talk parents into buying this? <laughs> I'm just so curious uh, about about how they would have sold that to the parents. <laughs> well, you know, um, in 1936, that would have been Mr. Olson, and Mr. Olson was already established with his uh, other team, his men's team, traveling around, and a lot of the players that they, what I would say, recruited, were players from their their immediate area around where they lived, and he would go visit them, and then a lot of them already knew him, and so, um, you know, hey, look, I've got this opportunity for your daughter. She's going to travel around. She's going to get paid. Um, she's going to get to see things that she would not get to see, uh, sites she would not get to see, places she would not get to go um, if she doesn't play basketball. And that is the way he sold it to them. Yeah, and really, really amazing opportunity, especially earlier in the cycle. We're talking about the 30s and 40s, which, as you said, uh, <clears throat> included a trip to Alaska and also one to the Philippines. So this was also international travel. Um, just an amazing story, which will continue after the break on Master Your Life. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet, but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah, that's L-E-A-H-A, at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin, along with my host, Leah Manson. And today, we're talking with Tammy Harrison about the All-American Redheads, a barnstorming all-women basketball team that started in the 1930s. 17 years after women actually got the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and played men's teams and, and went around the country and won most of those games. Incredible fitness, incredible skills. And I just want to set the scene a little bit for this. So what they would do, they would go to a lot of places and they would play in the high school gym and it would be packed out. I mean, remember, this was uh, really the days before TV, um, certainly in the 30s, uh, before TV and before uh, social media. So this would be an event. And people would go, and they would be stunned at what they saw when the All-American Redheads took on and beat uh, a team of guys from that community um, with a great exhibition of skills. And it wasn't just exhibition of skills sort of during the playtime. They also had a lot of entertainment value, Tammy. And perhaps you can tell us a little bit about some of the gimmicks and the halftime show that um, they put on. Okay, they um, they always had a halftime show, and that was where the men rested, and sure. they usually sat on the bench and watched, and the girls would get out on the floor and uh, 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 dribble with two balls between their legs. You have to realize how long ago now, you know, all the kids dribble with two balls around their legs, but back in the day, you know, that was it. Uh, they would juggle. They would spin the ball. Uh, they would shoot. Um, I know my mother used to shoot the ball. She would stand on her head, put the ball on her feet from the free throw line, and shoot the ball from there. She would also shoot free throws from their knees. Um, they would bounce it off their knees, um, different things like that. And then they had a passing routine that they did. They had a um, thing where the... Comedian would switch places with the referee <laughs> and tell the referee he wasn't doing a good job, and the the comedian would get a hat and a cane and a and a big whistle and go out and and tell him he's going to play for the Redheads. Well, he would be on the Redheads team. Well, first thing you know, um, the men looked at him wrong or something, and you know, of course, the comedian go, "That's a foul. You can't look at the Redhead like that." Of course, everybody would just die laughing, and then they would put the the um, man on the free throw line because he's gonna get two two shots for looking at a redhead like that. Well, if he made the shot, they would say move him back to like uh, the the um, the you know the back line. Then if he missed the shot, they would grab him by the arm. Pull him up underneath the goal to make him shoot right up underneath the goal. <laughs> and um, then, you know, the, the men would get the ball again, and they'd take off down the court, and they would uh, blow the whistle again and say, <laughs> you know, you're a violation. That's uh, redhead's ball. Uh, you traveled without a suitcase, you know, and <laughs> things like that. So... It was just little gimmicks, and throughout the years, the players would come up with their own little um, things that were funny, you know, uh, just from something that would happen in in the game. They might run up and go sit by a man in the stands or something or a kid in the stands and watch the game or just anything, and generally they like to pick on the um, – I guess you would say the post people keep, you know, hosting them in, like the mayor of the town, if he was in there, they might, you know, 
um, get him for pinching a redhead or something like that, you know? <laughs> Just little things and try to pick up on who you, is the coach of the school. If the coach of the school was playing, you know, of course that made all the kids in the school laugh if, if the one of the redheads, you know, beat him at something. So that that kind of thing was was the showmanship part of it. It sounds like they must have done their homework. Uh, and like, as Howard pointed out, it's like without social media, uh, just communication was a lot different back then. I mean, it's and not you know even within the last twenty five years before social media um, was about that is how we all would would get together in communities is kind of word of mouth and and people would come around and entertain in the gym. Some um, so I'm just curious about your mom. <laughs> so getting personal, but <laughs> what was your mom's favorite gimmick? And and how did she meet your dad? Like, was that Ooh, a gimmick? Was she story. a redhead before she, before no, she met your dad? No, actually, um, she, <laughs> met, she met my dad um, when uh, he was teaching school. He was teaching school at a... Um, back when they used to have the one-room schools, Mm-hmm. And it was a little school called Hancock, and he was teaching school there. She was quite a bit younger than him, which um, at the time that wasn't such a, a big deal, I guess. You know, everybody was supposed to be married by the time, you know, they were 16 or something. And she met him there, and um, then he got called off. Anyway, he ended up getting tuberculosis. And he got put in what they call the sanitarium. And um, so he got it, he actually got it twice. And the second time when he went to the sanitarium, um, she came up there to see him and and she wanted to stay. And he said, if you're going to stay, we're going to get married. And he had decided in his mind that... um, the guy across from him had passed away that he was going to live his life to the fullest if God let him um, get over this tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. And so he married her at the sanitarium and she stayed there and worked there till he got, till he got well. And then they came back um, to the area where they was from and he coached there uh, before and and he uh, met Mr. Olson through having uh, the Redheads come in and helped book a few games for the for the Olsons to come play in different areas around around the schools. What a yeah, great story! It is a great story, <laughs> and I want to elaborate in on a bit. And I should should tell listeners um, uh, the book is out. It's called Breaking the Press. Uh, the incredible story of the all-American redheads. And one of the lovely things about the book, I think, although I'm biased, is that um, Tammy's um, dad, Orwell, left a lot of notes. And so we actually have some of his words and descriptions of things that happened. And this story is one of them. Here he is, a young man, a relatively young man in a sanitarium, not sure, you know, tuberculosis in those times was a pretty dangerous, nasty thing to have. And he was in a relationship, but he really didn't want to feel, he didn't feel that he could put um, this young woman, turned out to be Tammy's mom, in, in jeopardy. And then one night, the guy across the street 
across the hall from him in the sanitarium who said, oh, I think I'm feeling better, dies. Mm -hmm. And that for him is the moment he said, I can't can't put my life on hold any longer, right? And that's 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 the essence of that story, which is an amazing story. So anyway, back to your mom. Sorry about that, but I really felt I had to interject because it's no, part of, that's great. You know, the that's magic, great. Part no, of the she, magic in the book. When Mr. Olson called, uh, wanting him to uh, coach, uh, he said, "Well, he said," and he goes, "I hear you have a a wife that plays," and uh, and he dad said yes, and he goes, "I stipulation if I come, she comes," and. Um, she got her tennis shoes on. He, uh, he always told the story of how excited she was as a, a young lady to get to get her tennis shoes and uh, get on that bus to go meet the redheads and meet up with the redheads and start playing with the redheads. So that was just her love to play basketball. And, um, of course, um, he was he was very hard on her. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, more hard than on the other girls, or the same? The oh, same? Oh no, a lot harder. A lot harder. Uh, a lot harder, and but she was hard on herself too. So I guess it all—I guess it all worked out. They were very competitive at at everything they did. Even when they got older, playing uh, playing spam cards with the family, it was very competitive. You, you didn't mess around in in, uh, in anything that had to do with uh, competition. <laughs> and she went on to score a few points. How many did she score, actually, uh, Dammy? 35,000. <laughs> oh, don't ask me that right now. I should have that. No, well, it was, it was more than 35,000 points. So, you know, yeah. she, was, she was pretty amazing. And as you said, shooting these free throws from her knees and all these other bizarre positions. I mean, incredible, incredible I, stuff. And you have to realize, too, she was... She shot, and a lot of these girls shot from where it would now be called three-point line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, yep. can you think about how many points would some of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the older generation have scored if it had if we had had a three-point line? There was no three-point line when I played, nor when I started coaching. That came afterwards. And that, you yes. know, that changed uh, basketball a lot with the three-point line. Yeah. Do you it agree, Leah? Did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, it did. It, and, yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes, there was a lot less, um, yeah, there was a lot more playing from the three-point three than trying to drive to the basket all the time. So it, it was uh, completely changed the complexion of the game, how we played, for sure, and how we coached. Uh, and the psychology of the game changed a bit also uh, at that time but getting back to your your story about the redheads um how many like so these young women are on the road and they're you know traveling around from town to town performing and they're performing against other men uh how did they like did they meet men when they were on the road for like did they they get married did they have did they have families did like how did they how did they have sort of relationships well, let's see. Uh, they were allowed to go out, but they could had to go out in groups of twos. And a lot of the men would ask them out, and they would go out. And um, Daddy used to call it the matrimonial school uh, <laughs> because a lot of redheads, well, there was quite a few redheads that actually met a husband 
through uh, the redheads. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that um, they played against them and then uh, went on a date and corresponded. You know, back years ago, everybody wrote letters. Um, you know, wasn't really phone calls or anything. Dating was a lot different than it is today. And mm-hmm. so they kept in touch like that. And so they did get to date. And they, but like I said, he wanted to keep them in, uh, in groups of twos. Um, one, one person that came to mind is Becky Harp. Uh, her boyfriend was from town and I think she played don't quote me on this. I think she played five years, no, three years or four, and he just followed her around watching her play whenever he could because he knew how much she loved the game. Yeah, and I'm sure your dad also set a curfew, right, and was was pretty strict about the bed check too, I'm sure. Oh, yes. The coaches, <laughs> the coaches had, to do, had to do that. And, um, you know, um, that was, their job, uh, it talks about in here, you had, we had a bunch of different coaches, so I imagine it depended on what town it was in. And uh, back years ago, there wasn't a lot, to, a lot of places to go. If they wanted to take them out to eat, uh, you know, the restaurants didn't stay open very long, right. you know, very yep. late at night. Sometimes they would have to ask the restaurant people to stay open after the game so that the redheads could eat and even, you know, it would help out because a lot of the people that came to the game would want to come eat. So it was a lot of bed checks and a lot of uh, uh, group dating, I guess. I've seen a lot of pictures of uh, where it looked like a whole team was out with the men, you know, and they were sitting at like a Dairy Queen or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. having a good time like that. Absolutely, the local Chinese food uh, place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so how yeah. how far into uh, your mom and dad's relationship did they start having children? Like, are you the only child, or like, how did that? No, work out? I'm not the only child. I had a sister that uh, passed away, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they had me later in life. I was born um, in uh, 1959. It was after Dad. Um, he bought the Redheads in 1954. Mm-hmm. And then I have a brother that's two years uh, younger than me. That's great. Um, more great stories from the All-American Redheads and the book, Breaking the Press, the incredible story of the All-American Redheads, when we come back for the last section of Master Your Life. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. 
Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin, along with my host, Leah Mattinson. And today we're talking about the incredible story of the All-American Redheads uh, with Tammy Moore, whose parents not just played, uh, or mom played, but um, were the owners of the Redheads for a long while. Uh, And it's an amazing story about the changing perception of women in relationship to sports and, and frankly, anything they played from 1936 to 1986. Um, And and actually, uh, at at, uh, various points, they had two and three teams on the road. That's how popular they were. Tammy's dad, Orwell Moore, was a coach and was really ahead of his time. And I'm sure it made a huge difference to many of the girls who played. It was giving them an opportunity of a lifetime. Tammy, do you want to talk about that? I mean, you, you grew up seeing the impact on these, these women who played. What would you say about that? Uh, I would say that the Redheads really encouraged a lot of these people to get their education, to further their education. You know, they got out of their little towns and their little boxes and saw the world and could see that there were other things in life to do. And he encouraged, he was, this was it, you, he encouraged you to go to college. Now, I don't know, you know, his big deal was go to college, get an education. Go to college, get an education. The girls were off in the summer, he encouraged them to go to college get an education. So, you know, as far as him and the Redheads impacting uh, the players, I see that as, you know, not all of them become coaches. Some of them become CEOs, uh, but they always talk about how the Redheads gave them the, um, I guess, self-confidence in their self and their ability to speak in front of people to be able to reach their full potential. Yeah, and, and not absolutely right. And not only that, but the discipline, too, that went along with being a redhead. And it was a pretty disciplined life, you know, with the workout, the physical workouts, the training, being on the road nine months a year. Yeah, it's got a glamorous side. There's a lot of discipline. And I've had the privilege to talk to some of these players later in their life. And, you know, they will admit this made a huge difference to them. And some of them have gone into coaching or related to teaching. Others have gone on, you know, very successful careers in up-home senior management. Um, Leah, I'd be interested in your comments because I know you've done a lot of coaching in your time and, and, and your comments about how that can shape a young person's life. Yeah, I think, and Tammy uh, stated it so nicely about 
that her that her father really encouraged people to um, go to college. And, and I think that whether it's college or it's trade school or furthering yourself in some way, but encouraging people to grow and can, having a consistent message, uh, that it sounds like your dad took his like role uh, far beyond that of just uh, how to play and and be sportsmanlike and technically talented on the um, you know basketball court. That he actually looked at these young ladies at their whole life and went like, how do I make their whole life be better? Which is a very um, altruistic position. And I think great coaches do that. They don't just look at people in one little um, part of their life. They look at how is how is my influence going to affect that person's life positively. And I think also what your dad did, and certainly I look at in my coaching practice, is how do I build courage within people? How do we build people that have a lot of internal uh, stamina and resilience so physically, you can have those things by, you know, doing drills on the basketball court or running alongside a car or doing extra push-ups or, or, you know, working really hard, good, better, best, never let it rest till the good is better and the better is the best. And internally, the, you, you need to have um, the ability to stretch yourself and have courage to do things that are outside of your comfort zone all the time, whether that's an extra push-up or it's being the clown on the basketball court, like taking on a role that wouldn't be comfortable for you necessarily. And and so I just think your your father was like a gifted coach and gifted coaches are a completely different level of coach than kind of the regular run-of-the-mill um, coaches. And, and coaches also can aspire to be really excellent coaches. And so, Tammy, I know that you've had a lot of coaching experience. Maybe you could talk about how just your, your um, journey has been in your coaching career. Um, well, I've, I mean, I've, I've had a wonderful time coaching all the sports I've coached. I've uh, dealt with... Um, all kinds of different people and um, all kinds of different situations where, uh, you know, you have to make a tough decision on, and uh, sometimes it's not the decision the player wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. we all learn uh, from our mistakes and we learn to do do better from um, sometimes not winning but uh, losing sometimes teaches you more than winning does. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not fun. Um, I've enjoyed it. I've stayed up nights, not slept, uh, you know, writing little X's and O's all over pieces of paper and driving down the road and pulling over and writing down a note. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, there's and, always that one. there's always that one kid or there's always that one thing uh, that yeah keeps a, a good coach up at night going how am i going to how am i going to help this person through this thing and if you're a good self coach you do that also it's like how am i going to get through this roadblock or hurdle or uh, and and yeah we do lose sleep over it does it does um, simmer around in our in our soul so to speak these you know trying to problem solve stuff so that getting around roadblocks yeah, yeah x's and o's definitely lots of those <laughs> Right, and 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 uh, sometimes really sometimes the X's and O's are uh, the easier part of the game that that unless you've coached you don't understand the the uh, the mental aspect of getting a group of 
people to mesh together as a team is sometimes, uh, I guess, the hardest thing to do. In my opinion, that's what I have found. Yeah, well, reading and, and writing some of the stuff, the coaches, and particularly uh, Holy Olson, the original one, and then your dad were, were, I think, incredible. They were ahead of their time. And interestingly, you mentioned the point there, um, Leah, about being altruistic. And one of the things um, that should be said is that um, people paid a you know modest amount to see the redheads, and some of that went to those expenses. But quite a lot of that money was set aside for um, funding local charitable things like maybe new equipment for the school, um, new sports equipment for the school. So some of the gate receipts were plowed back into something that was good for the community too. So this was, I think that's important to mention, this wasn't just, or perhaps even um, a big commercial money-making enterprise, Um, it benefited everybody. Right, Lions Club, um, your local sports team, whoever booked you in, um, got a percentage of the profits. It was um, dependent on advanced sales or sales at the gate, how much it was. And so uh, a lot of schools booked people in, booked the Redheads in every year because it was their big fundraiser. So it helped everybody, not just. You know, not just, it was not just for the redheads. It was a fundraiser for a program, for a town, for a school, for a charity of some kind. And it worked yep. out great for, for both parties. Yep. And, um, and then as time rolled on, we started in the 30s and then we evolved. Um, by the 1970s, and particularly the passing of Title IX uh, in the United States, which was there needed to be equal opportunity for women, which meant that if you fielded, if you're a college and you fielded a men's sports team in whatever sport, you had to field, field a women's team too. And that was actually, there was a lot of resistance to that, um, as you might imagine. But by the end of the 1970s, that had been accepted, which meant that that opened up basketball for women in a huge way. And I I really think the Redheads were instrumental in showing that they could compete and should have equal access and equal opportunity to man. Isn't that right, Tammy? Oh, I believe so. If the Redheads hadn't started in 1936, there has to be a start. If you don't have a start... Uh, just think how many years it took to pass Title IX. Where would we be today? Would we, would we just be at that point? We don't know because we, they, the Redheads did start in 1936 and was successful. And my dad was very encouraging and kept up with Title IX and was always pushing for Title IX. And um, I can remember him getting books in on promotion, um, Title IX, uh, what was it, Title IX uh, Toolkit or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading reading through it on, you know, what it meant and, and how, you know, what you needed to do because at the little town where we lived in, they, even though it was the home of the redheads, they fought and fought and fought until they had to put a team at our school and the surrounding areas, they all fought it. So, so do you remember um, at that time what the biggest resistance was, Tammy? Who were the biggest kind of detractors? What was what was people's biggest fear? 
You know, they always, it was always said the money, but I really don't know. I don't know if they thought it would take away. I really think that they thought it would take away from boys' athletics, you know, that somebody might really want to see the girls instead of the boys. And that's just my personal opinion. I well, don't we are know. pretty spectacular, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just saying. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just my personal opinion. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and it was an amazing achievement, but it also set the scene for really no longer needing the redheads because now women were playing at all levels on their own. They had those opportunities, and so the torch had been passed, really, hadn't it, by the redheads. we, We could talk about this indefinitely. We've got a few minutes left. I do want to ask you about... The Hall of Fame, or should I say the Halls of Fame. Tell us a little bit about that because I think it's a really important part of the story. About the Naismith Hall of Fame? Well, both. Oh, uh, we're going to have the book signing? Well, no, I'm just talking about the fact that you were inducted, the first women's team inducted. Oh, the first women's basketball team inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. So we're the first women's team ever inducted, and it was a grand achievement. It was the, um, you know, the epitome of what everybody wants. That's what everybody wants to do in their life is to be in that Hall of Fame and to get up there and speak on behalf of the All-American Redheads was just a night to remember, a dream a dream come true for my parents and many of the ladies that were on the stage with me and many of the people that had passed away. Yeah, and it was, what, 2012, right? It was 2012. Yeah, Um, and and, and by the way, if you want, you can look it up on YouTube and you can see Tammy's presentation. Um, She's on the stage a presentation to all the major, you know, the Hall of Fame's a big deal, so all the major basketball players and anyone associated with it are there, and Tammy has the privilege of talking about the All-American Redheads to them. It's very, very emotional and very meaningful, and again, you can look it up on YouTube, the 2012 induction of the All-American Redheads in the Naismith Hall of Fame. Um, we've got a minute or two left. Tammy, is there anything else you'd like to say? It's been great having you here, and as I say, we could talk about this indefinitely. Well, I would just like to say that we also are trailblazers in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, and this summer they're going to have a book signing at the induction for this book, Breaking the Press. Yeah, and and let's tell people where that is. That is in Knoxville, Tennessee on uh, June 10th. And the building is actually built around one of the Redhead's limos, so it can never be removed. There's a whole room of All-American Redhead's memorabilia, and it is a wonderful place to go visit and see. Both places are great. If you're a basketball fan or just a fan of history, they're both two wonderful places to go visit. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Tammy. I think that you forgot to mention the limos during the story. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, so for all those who are interested in limos, <laughs> it would be a great place to check out. Uh, yes, thank you so much, Tammy. For This is such an inspirational story, I think, for for women and for, uh, and I will definitely check out the YouTube because I think it would just be a great thing to share for young ladies to see how um, you know, kind of things were, uh, the passages have been made through time, not only in sports, but uh, in other areas of life that are important uh, in, in how to be good moms, how to be good citizens, how to be good partners. Uh, so the, the redhead story is, is a lot more, has a lot more con to it, text to it than just the uh, basketball games themselves. Yeah, there's no, no question about that. Again, uh, the book is available now on Amazon, Breaking the Press, the incredible story, The All-American Redheads. Uh, and we hope you've enjoyed this because it is a, it really is a landmark in how women were perceived and seen. And, and thank you so much. I only wish your parents were here. Hopefully they can see it. Um, so we could, we could congratulate them, Tammy. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you having me on the show. You're so welcome. Wonderful. Join us next time for insight, intelligence, and inspiration on Master Your Life. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.